0: we yeah.
1: in the past about episodes of Trek that maybe had too many hands in the pot. Uh, we've talked before about old Jerome Bixby, who's has a hard time writing scripts. He wrote Mirror Mirror, but uh, the first two drafts of that turned out so bad that Roddenberry went back and did almost a complete rewrite on it. Not complete, but a almost three-quarter rewrite on it. I would say that's almost complete. Don't listen to me ramble. But uh, he did do the same thing with this episode, while at the same time pitching yet a third episode. We'll get into a little bit more about that. But I feel this episode is, uh, could have been tighter. We'll talk about it as we go through it. I have some ideas on how we could have made a much more, because I feel like the first half of this episode drags, and that once we get back to the ship, this episode is far more entertaining. That's where I stand on it. Anyway, my name's Matt. We're the Brothers Trek about. And coming to us from Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken.
0: Hailing frequencies are open.
1: Woohoo! Well, here we are then. So it's interesting because in this chapter of the book, Cashman says this, which I will then disagree with in a way. He says, By any other name suffers from an overused science fiction premise. Alien invaders want to conquer Earth. Star Trek has always avoided this War of the Worlds type of cliche, dot, 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 until now. Now, it is true that there were previous drafts of this episode where they were trying to get, they were trying to go to Earth and try to take over the Earth. And they do talk about in this episode that they do want to conquer everyone. They're conquerors, right? That's what they are. But I don't feel that this is like War of the Worlds type of alien invasion. At all. In fact, what the show ends up being is almost the opposite. It's stealing a ship to go home. Right. Admittedly, so they can come back and conquer the galaxy. So let's just, uh, before we continue on, get your... You know, go ahead.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the real War of the Worlds like, thing in Star Trek is the Borg.
1: Right. Yeah, that's true. And look how popular that turned out to be. So, of course, we know that it, uh, NBC loves the idea of putting, you know, putting us on a planet. Anytime we can come to another planet, no matter how much they look alike, it seems like they're excited. So, of course, the first half of this show was written, knowing that we'd be on a new planet. Kirk finds the Keldons on a planet. They've been shipwrecked there and so on and so forth. Uh, it's funny, though, because I feel like so much of what happens on this planet could have just taken place on the ship right they could have saved a lot of time and effort i feel like by just putting them on the ship and instead of putting them in a cage uh you know, or a cave you know they put them into the the brig on the ship it just feels like And they don't even show a lot of what happens, right? Because like they're on the planet and we hear about the Enterprise being taken over, but we only get these like quick glimpses of it happening as opposed to like what could be much more dramatic of it actually happening to Kirk and the crew on the ship. I don't know. That's, I think my biggest problem with this episode is the whole first half. It just feels like a mess to me and feels all over the place. And the idea, (coughs) I don't know how much of this is in my notes, but the idea of this episode was based on the idea of them becoming human right which we don't even get to until 22 minutes into this episode and that's 22 minutes by the way without commercials so that's probably the half hour mark so it's like the the one thing that they really wanted to talk about in this episode doesn't even hit until halfway through the episode complaints i have uh we also see uh Spock used the mental suggestion like he did in a Taste of Armageddon, right? We try to see him use that thing. It fails here, of course. Uh, the funny thing is, is, that we also see someone, uh, a crew member, trying to play sick so that they can get out of, uh, you know, get out of the the cave that they're in. Uh, we also saw them do this in I Mud and Bread and Circuses. So it's like we just keep using some of these tropes over and over and over again. I'm gonna re- read what Cashman wrote here. It's pretty good. Jerome Bixby was so da- uh, so dazzled the Star Trek staffers with his original story for Mirror Mirror that he was given a second assignment before even beginning the screenplay for the first. He had written two drafts of his story outline for Mirror Mirror when NBC rejected that property, citing that it was too hard to follow. So while Roddenberry wrote the third draft of the treatment, Bixby then began writing other possible stories he could submit. Roddenberry's tre- treatment of Mirror Mirror got uh, NBC's Stan Robertson to reverse his rejection, and Bixby was asked in for a meeting to discuss how to pre- proceed with the script. Before leaving the studio that day, he had already pitched his idea for By Any Other Name. Even more surprisingly, Bixby turned in his treatment for By Any Other Name before his first draft of Mirror Mirror was actually completed. <laughs> uh. Which of course at that point Gene Kuhn was way more wanted, was way more invested in Mir Mir than he was by this second thing that happens here. So, of course, Roddenberry comes up with this idea of of how else we could run this script, right? What subplot we could put in to help flesh out this and make it a full 60-minute plot? Because at the time they were like, there's no way we can do this entire storyline in, in an hour script. And as we find. It may not have worked that way anyway. But he said that there's a really good chance here that we could really get into our, you know, our characters' minds, our our top characters. So uh, he comes up with the idea that the Kelvins are going to force the crew members to mate. Of course, sounds just like Roddenberry, right? He says, uh, if they are absolutely forced to do this, must do it or they will die or others will die because they don't then who would they pick? Like, what is Kirk's idea of the ideal woman? Or Spock's? Or McCoy's? Would there be disappointments as the chosen mate prefers someone else? Obviously, we can't put our running characters in a situation where they would be saying to the audience, well, I would rather die than sleep with this person. That's pretty unbelievable. Equally obvious, they can't also drag women into their cabins. You're like, Roddenberry, what the heck are you doing here? You're a crazy man.
0: He is a crazy man. So, you know, one of the things I've talked about before is, like, this question of like, you know, the the science in Star Trek. So this is not only the 300 years in the future where the science is all kind of crazy, but we've encountered sufficiently advanced species that could, like, travel intergalactically. So they're like a whole, you know, level beyond that. But the idea that you'd have interstellar travel, which would take multi-generations and... You know, like like we see in Khan, right? In Space Seed, in which you've got sleeper ships or breeder ships would be the other one, right? Which you put a crew and then like, they would live out normal lives and, and their descendants would be the ones who land. Which you seems know, these, like that's what the Kelvins were. Right. So, you know, those are, like, actual ideas, right? So even though... We've got a crazy future. We're just taking one theory for interstellar travel and just ramping it up for the Kelvins, for intergalactic travel.
1: Well, it's funny. So, like, I, I'm going to step back for a minute and just say that we already know that there is a problem, not a problem, that there is a difficulty when trying to write 25, 26, 27 great scripts, right? So we know that that's already you, we we've talked about this before before again and again. That it's just hard to put together an entire season of like mirror mirrors or uh, right. you know uh, uh, Ga- the Guardian episode. What is that one? You want to say the restaurant at the end of the universe? But that's <laughs> definitely not what it is. Uh, City, At the Edge of Forever, that one. You know, they can't all be that, obviously. But I also feel that sometimes they're just... And part of this is too, like, we've lost Kuhn and now we've got uh, uh, the the guy's names who totally has lost me. Lucas. We've got Lucas now who's learning more and more about Trek as he writes it, right? So there are definitely going to be episodes on the horizon that are better than this. So we're dealing with all of these things, right? We're dealing with all of these as we as, 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 as we discuss them It's just also hard that sometimes Just basic plotting For me gets lost in the, in the, in the shuffle Memo from Robert Chessman here um, How many of these aliens do we have on board? Can we afford to have all these be- aliens on board? And how do these aliens keep control of a 430 man crew? Now him asking this question of course blows everybody's minds because they're like, well, that's really a good question. I don't know how, you know, obviously we can't afford to have a 30, you know, alien crew on board. What are we going to do? So this like starts setting into everybody's thoughts of like, okay, again, this is something we definitely need to figure out. It was also in the same memo that Justin had the germ of an idea that would lead to the best scenes in this episode. Although uh, DC Fontana would be the one to actually end up writing them for the screen. And these are uh, Kirk romancing Kalinda uh, arousing the homicidal Genesee in Rojan, McCoy shooting up Hanor full of the stims, and Scotty introducing Tomar to the joys of alcohol, which of course is a <laughs> one of the highlights of this episode, to be sure, to be sure. He ends, this, he ends this, this memo by saying, if I were to be asked whether or not we should proceed ahead with this commission of a screenplay from this story treatment, I would have to answer, don't ask me. <laughs> So in the script, uh, Bixby had written the description of the aliens as like hard, but not harsh military, but not savage. Uh, You know, basically trying to prove that these were like, hey, these are tough guys, but they're also like, you know, polite. (laughs) Also, it seems like, you know, uh, it's almost like uh, Zod in. um, That's what I think of anyway, Zod in Superman, too. Right. You know, like somebody who's sort of this like charming you know, but uh, also at the same time can do like these really horrible things. Anyway, Robert Justman was afraid that they would come off to come off to wishy washy. And so, uh, of course, then they decide, OK, well, maybe we should double down on the violence a little bit. Right. Uh, there was also a subplot brewing for a while where Kirk's decision to turn the trip over to the uh, to the Kelvins was weighing heavy on his shoulders. was worried about that, too. Uh, there was also, too, in all of this talk of sex and whether or not they should have sex, there was also the problem of uh, of Mr. Spock, right? So Kuhn writes this memo to Bixby saying, Mr. Spock does not come into heat only when Saturn is in cancer. <laughs> we have done a complete show about Mr. Spock's breeding habits, which originally were those similar to the salmon on Earth. That is, he essentially would swim upstream and spawn. But due to his, his experience, he went through in an episode called The Muck Time, Mr. Spock's human side won out and he can, he can screw like anyone else. We will, of course, unfortunately, need a rewrite on the story with these points incorporated before we turn it over to NBC. And the sooner you can do that, the better. Thank you very kindly, and hurry up on the rewrite of Mirror Mirror so that we can finally shoot it. <laughs> so at the same time, he's still dealing with this new story. He's still not getting uh, Mirror Mirror finished, which is uh, hilarious. Uh, so they finally get the first draft in. Uh, they get a... Uh, and... Uh, Robert Justman writes, Perhaps what we have here is interesting science fiction concept and an impossible commercial television property. Because everybody sort of liked the ideas and the theory behind the writing of this episode, but when it came together, they didn't think that it was going to be all that exciting. It was also in this same memo that uh, Robert Justman came up with the idea of the, the freezing, the things that would stun the, the crew to put some real jeopardy into the episode. So uh, finally, after yet another draft, uh, Bixby gives it to Lucas, who says, uh, or Bixby wrote to Lucas, who didn't love it, but, and decided that it needed a very strong rewrite and gave it to DC Fontana. Bixby says of this later, I wrote a story, they liked it. Then I did a script and they didn't like it. And looking back, I can see why. I did one thing that Roddenberry was most against. Don't become obsessed with the immensity of it all. And that I did. I dealt extensively with the subjective stuff produced in a man's loneliness, disorientation, and grief. And I gave them 45 pages of immensity and the immensity of it all. So, Dorsey Fontana, without my knowledge, damn it, started to do the rewrite. (laughs) She writes, the biggest problem we had was uh, how a half a dozen people are going to uh, take over the starship with a crew of 400. So, RJ, who of course planted the seed uh, in an earlier memo... Says, hi, I said, how do we do this? So Kuhn and I, DC Fontana says, we're wrestling with it and we booted around and finally went into Roddenberry's office and we explained to him the problem. And he had in this desk, this kind of octagonal Mexican anz that was uh, brought back to him uh, one time from a trip that he used as a paperweight and he started pushing it around on the desk <laughs> saying, well, what if they, used, uh, they had a machine that turned people into the shape? That was something like this. And suddenly that clicked. Everything else was fine. Because if you deal with, uh, all you had to deal with was the immediate characters. And once we had that gimmick in place, then it all worked. We didn't even have to have a bunch of extras around for very much, which actually really saved us money. There was no no longer a need for uh, the cruel instances of intimidation that NBC didn't want. And now that the crew members were reduced to crystallized blocks, there was uh, no need for them to be forced to breed. And so that subplot was also taken out of it. But again, then, all we're stuck with is our main through line. I feel like the one thing I keep saying over the last several episodes is like, you know what this really needs is a subplot. It would really help, you know, stretch out the story. And again, we've got a third time here where we've got a a story that needs a subplot and doesn't have one, and then I don't love the story.
0: Surprise. Perhaps if there was a Chinese restaurant and the cast is, like, waiting to order and the whole episode takes place... As they're waiting to order. <laughs> Cartwright! <laughs> Who's Cartwright?
1: I'm Cartwright! Okay. You
0: I mean Lieutenant Cartwright.
1: Lieutenant Cartwright, right. <laughs> My bad. Uh, so Julie Cobb, who was uh, cast as Leslie Thompson, was the only crew member in red ever to be killed on Star Trek. Oh, sorry, crew woman in red ever to be killed on Star Trek. And here she was also making her dramatic TV debut. Uh, which is uh, great. So uh, Warren Stevens, the guy who played Rojan, was uh, rehearsing a scene where he and Kalinda, where uh, it was the kissing scene, basically, right? So uh, he tells the story, in rehearsal, we kissed. And then Mark Daniels yelled, close your mouths! And I remember saying, hey, 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 it's only a rehearsal, okay? (laughs) That was a great name. (laughs) And uh, that's it. That's all I got uh, behind-the-scenes stuff until we get to the end. So, uh, as always, let's get to it. Captain's log starting.
0: It's five-year mission.
1: So, we open here with the crew beaming down. Uh, They apparently were sent here on a distress call, but as they scan, there are no signs of debris. You know, there's no ship. There's nothing. They don't need it. And then suddenly two human forms show up, a male and a female. Kirk introduces himself, Introduces himself, and Rojan, we will later learn, says, Now you will surrender your ship to me. As they start to talk, we see this weapon that can paralyze the physical mo- movements, and the crew is trapped. Now, it's funny. Behind the scenes, uh, in this scene, we see Kirk moving his eyes, right, while he's frozen. Uh, that's because Shatner wanted the audience to know that he could still hear and see what was happening while he was frozen. And so that was his way of kind of doing that. But, uh, Nimoy and Bones, uh, DeForest Kelly were both like, no, if we're frozen, we're frozen. We should just stand still. And so, uh, Cashman's like, you know, the only, uh, both are, would work either way. The problem is the director didn't choose one. So, like, which one's it going to be? So that's one of those uh, idiosyncratic things that happens in that episode.
0: And you do get the the th- fact that, like, Rojan keeps talking to them even when they're frozen.
1: Yes. That could be enough. So, you know, maybe you don't need Shatner, you know, m- not mugging, but, you know, rolling his eyes as he walks by or whatever he does. Uh, here, Rojan introduces himself and says... I am your captain now. Of course, made me think of that movie with Tom Hanks in it. Look at me, I am your captain. I am your captain. <laughs> Look at me, I am your captain. Anyway. <laughs> so it's funny too when they get frozen here. Like McCoy looks like he's saying something to Spock in the middle of being frozen. I was like, of all the places to choose, like what were you saying to Spock? As suddenly these other people show up, you could have at least you should, could have been talking to him, or I don't know. It was weird. I, I just didn't understand what DeForest Kelly was going for there, but... uh Rogaine, frozen! That's right, they're frozen! Roseanne then takes us to commercial with the line, You will face the end of your existence as you know it! Commercial. Opening credits. Back to it! In a quick back and forth, we quickly discover that uh, uh, their backstory and their intent, they came from another galaxy... 300 years away or something and uh they don't know anything but the ship and so then they le- they got stuck on this planet so uh i was thinking again as i'm thinking about how we could have possibly rewritten this to make it a little more interesting that this is something that instead of learning in the first two minutes of the episode we could have hid from the audience a little bit more and revealed as we went along you know what i'm saying just to right. give it a little more mystery behind it you know, maybe they're taken captive and then as we later, it later gets revealed, as opposed to suddenly it's just like, hey, we know everything now. It would have caused at least a little bit of mystery or a little bit of more like excitement in this episode. But oh, they we also, find it all. Out here.
0: It's a, uh, you know, start right away dominating, you know, our, our heroes, right? So they start off, you know, making demands and using that little freeze you know, device and so forth. And you also could have had the situation where they kind of pretend to be stranded, like just regular people, and then are secretly plotting to... Because one, they, they want to take over the ship, but they need to, like, figure out who are these people, how do we do it? Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've adopted their forms, but we don't know their ways. Yeah. And, you know, so you could have had some intrigue in that that early part instead of the we'll put them in a cave, we'll show them our crazy weapon.
1: Yeah. They could have saved the weapon for later, you know, when they were taking over the ship, you know. Oh, we got yeah. them on board, we're going to beam them up to the ship, and then uh, you know, once they're on the ship, uh, you know, and we get an idea of how the ship works, <laughs> who these people are, and all of these things, we're going to oh, nope, it just happens all so quickly. Anyway. So uh, we hear again, too, about the energy field field that was at the edge of the galaxy, right, which we saw in an episode from first season. Uh, In fact,
0: originally they used stock footage from that original piece. Now the ones that we're watching, you know, it's all the the remastering and the new effects.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was just another way that they saved money in this episode was uh, just to be able to reuse that, all that stuff. Uh, of course, the DeForest group, again, just said, uh, you know, this doesn't exist, right? And they're like, we've already established <laughs> it. We're just going to use it. I, let like, us move on. I
0: like how they remind my you know, this doesn't exist.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny. There were all sorts of things. There was, uh, like, some technical stuff about, like, how, uh, like, in one of the scripts it was talking about, you know, they talk about going to Warp 15 and how long it takes them to get to places at Warp 14 and all of that kind of stuff. And DeForest Group like, broke it down for him and was like, well, here's the real information. This is what should end up in the script. Not whatever gobbledygook you have in your version of it. So, see, it really is. It really is. It's all Star Trek's fault that brought about canon and people getting so persnickety about uh, uh, stuff that doesn't work in as I say about what doesn't work in this episode, but anyway, he takes uh, Rajan takes them hostages, saying uh, he hopes that he can use them to keep the rest of the crew silent Again, I feel like this is just a lot more padding into this episode until we get on the ship. but anyway, uh, we also find out here that rojan's team is is not uh is not human. he calls these human shells that they are in so uh, you know
0: on the one hand, it seems like. They're not like the ball of light people, right, who we've seen, right. like uh, the Organians, who just adopt a form. Instead, they seem to really become human, and all of the human stuff works against them, and they don't know how to use it, right? Right, exactly. So They can get drunk, they can get like, uh, hopped up on stimulants, they can get uh, jealous. Right. They can fall in love or be physically attracted, you know, so all this stuff works. So they've really become humans yeah. without necessarily, uh, you know, like, just they just haven't adopted the form like the Organians, which I thought was a weird, you know, odd that it worked out that way, right? Yes. It, it works nicely for the show, but...
1: Well, again, so... <laughs> as a a couple of things that I also think don't work in this, we also hear Spock later say that they were like, you know, had many limbs and, you know, tentacles or whatever, that they were multi-limbed creatures. I'm like, how did they even become human then? Like, how did they even become this form? That's something that doesn't really make sense either. You know, there's that. They've
0: got uh, some advanced technology.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess.
0: Which which we don't ever, ever find out about. But you know my strategy if if I were to like adopt some other form I wouldn't necessarily want to be stuck in the like the actual form where like oh now I'm I'm them I mean I yeah. got all their stuff I know like you know if you if you were like, become like, you want to fake your way into like vampire society, you wouldn't want to like become a vampire. And they're like, oh, all these weapons I brought in to disarm the vampires are working on me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. The right. silver and burns, the garlic. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> well, he even says in the scene, they feel too much. They smell too much. Everything is, yeah. it's too much for them. Uh, the planet is too open, and he'll be happy to be surrounded by walls again. So then this is where Spock uses the Vulcan mind trick, except it uh, works against him in this time and gets thrown away. It does, however, work I like to... to reversal. Yeah. Yeah, that was at least nice. Yeah, I did like that. Uh, in our non-episodic television, which still yet somehow has a past. Uh when they or refer to our it. says, yeah, exactly. do the thing
0: that you did in the other episode where you, you know... <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. I'll, I'll try to get... Whoa, does it work this time? Yeah. <laughs> As though the audience would be expecting him to, like, do the same trick.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Which has the odd, like, you know, so, of course, the ship gets modified by the Kelvins. And at the end of the the episode, like, what happens to the modifications? Yeah. We we just never know. We just go back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. In one sense, they're aware of establishing a past and some audience expectations. On the other hand, it never occurs to them.
1: Yeah. Or who knows, maybe that becomes the new Warp 9. I mean, you know, the former Warp 14, yeah.
0: I think, I think it's more a case where Homer Simpson gets elected mayor of Springfield at the end of the episode. <laughs> and then by the next episode, he's just working back at the nuclear power plant again.
1: <laughs> Very possible. <laughs> this trick, however, does lure the female into the room, and she's quickly overpowered by Kirk. Uh, they steal the device and attempt to track the power source, but... Surprise! They're quickly caught right outside where other people happen to be. Rojan then kills the female with them, as we have already discussed, turning her into a cube, and then crushing that cube. Dun-dun-dun. We also find out, of course, that that could be uh, reinstated into a human again, just so we know that we don't lose all of our crew members. Unless you crush it. Unless you crush it. Uh, We go to commercial on that. Back to it. Spock is uh, talking about the memories of the mind meld, the alien with the many limbs. Uh, Kirk even jokes about it. It wouldn't even fit in a turbo lift. I was writing a funny here. Uh, I just didn't set it up for myself very well. Anyway, here's what I wrote. They decide they need to jam the device that's that's jamming their nerves. So Kirk comes up with a plan to jam the jammers with a neural probe.
0: Who jams the jammers, though? That's right. Who jams
1: those jammers? So Spock, using a uh, another trick that Vulcans have to slow down his heartbeat, plays sick, and uh, they end up getting beamed aboard the Enterprise. And Sickbay Bones has Chapel prepared two shots of stockaline, to which she's like, "What do you mean, stockaline doesn't even?" Just do what I say,"
0: says Bones. <laughs> I kind of feel like she's like stockaline's a paint thinner. You know? <laughs> yeah,
1: right, or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a vitamin. It won't even do anything. Yeah. Rojan wants Kirk uh, to follow his orders on the ship, but Kirk isn't sure that he can do it. Rojan again then threatens all of his crew members. Then the female Kelvin asks about the flowers. She thinks that they are pretty. A rose by any other name, says Kirk. And then he goes on to tell her about Shakespeare. So... uh, this, I think, would have been a fun place to start the establishment of, the, like, the flirting and everything, right? Why not just start it here? Why make it wait so late? Even if she doesn't understand what the flirting is, it would make her more curious about, like, what are you even doing? What's happening here? You know, it's like, again, it just would have given the story a little more strength, a little more legs to stand on, I feel like.
0: there's an episode coming up where you have these, you know, it's the same, it's a similar thing. It's a body switchers episode, right? Right. Okay. So, um, and like the, the three different people who take over various bodies have three different agendas. I mean, in one sense, they're all, you know, in, in the terms of the Calvins, want to get back to the Andromeda Galaxy. But one of them is like, let's explore the humans and find out their secrets. One's right. like, no, let's just get back. And the other one's like, I'm in Spock. I really like this body. I think I should keep it, you know. Oh, uh-huh. So you get these different agendas. And, you know, they could have done more of that by having her be interested in some of this stuff. Whereas the other guy's like, I just want to be in my four walls and closed. <laughs> you know? On my
1: way back home.
0: Because I'm basically a bed bug. And... Uh, You know, she could be like, no, this is fascinating. I want to explore. There was a little bit of that in the Halloween episode.
1: I was going to say, that sounds a bit like Cat Spa, where she's like, the sensations.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love your dramatization. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Uh, This is also where I point out that we're at 22 minutes here, and uh, none of the story that they wanted to tell has yet to make an appearance. So that's where we are. Anyway, we finally get to the ship, and the Kelvins have made the modifications, and the next thing you know, we're going warp 11.
0: Which is fast. Yes.
1: So then they go down to engineering so that uh, Spock and Scott can take a look and try and uh, shut down whatever the thing is that's causing them to get frozen by the buttons on the Kelvins fanny packs or whatever they are. Um uh, <laughs> What's funny about that scene too, as they're looking at the metal thing that's impenetrable and they can't get through, if you look in the background, Kirk's like trying to keep the other guard occupied, you know, he's like pacing in the background, talking to him and stuff. It's actually kind of a really funny to watch him. Uh and so okay, I can't remember what it was I said two minutes ago. Oh, the the getting drunk thing that happens later. That's like a good moment in this. But another great moment that actually causes a lot of attention in this um episode is the one of do they destroy the enterprise going through the barrier or not? Obviously, Bye. we know that in the end they're not going to do it because that would be the end of the show. But the tension in that in that scene is really great. It's really well filmed, it's really well edited. You know, and even though we don't know at this point that Rojan knows, you know, that really also keeps this extra layer of like, is he figuring out what's going to happen? Like, how is this all going to either happen or not happen? How is it going to get stopped? So obviously we go to commercial here and come back in the middle of this thing. uh, Finally, Kirk decides, hey, I'm not going to risk the ship. I think that there's another way that we can get through this, as he tells McCoy later. Uh, we then quickly find out about the uh, this neutralizing operation that they uh, the Kelvin's have set up. They're just going to go down and turn everyone in the in the uh, all the non essentials into the little cubes. This includes Chekhov and Uhura, who are turned into nothingness, or at least the little cubes, not nothingness, I guess. But they're taken out pretty quick. In the corridor, in the next scene, we see the whole hallway full of the neutralized crew members. It's pretty sad. To which Rojan says, uh, is this better for them now than blowing up the ship like your engineer thought to do? So we knew all along, we find out. He says, Tomar realized what was happening and neutralized your attempt. There will be no other. I also thought it was funny. I don't know if you remember this. But Tomar, there was a a toy robot that came out in the early 80s. And then the robot's name was Tobor, which is robot spelled backwards. That's what the commercial would always say. Tobar, robot spelled backwards. It's pretty great. Anyway. <laughs> that commercial's on YouTube as well, you can find it. Or I'll just play it right here, I guess.
0: This is Tobor. Tobor, the Telesonic Robot. Batteries not included. He's under your control. With a click from the Telesonic Commander to circle. To proceed forward, to circle, or to pick up the support module and return, all on your command. Tobor is robot spelled backwards. Tobor, the telesonic robot from Shopper.
1: Uh, So conveniently, the only four people that the Kelvins figure that they actually need are Scott, Bones, Spock, and Kirk. They're the the only ones left on the ship. Kirk is pissed about the crew as suddenly one of the Kelvins in the purple jumpsuit comes in. Uh, He quickly learns about eating. He doesn't understand it at first, but then once he eats, he's like, oh, I like this sensation. I like this sensation! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Spock sees him eating and realizes that uh, the Kelvins are becoming more human. Kirk hopes that uh, he will be able to use this to confuse them by using their senses against them. So Scott takes the purple jumpsuited guy to learn about drinking. Bones starts injecting one of them with a vitamin supplement, which is actually a stimulant that causes aggravation. Kirk then takes... It's
0: paint thinner. Right.
1: (laughs) Like (laughs) Stokelene. Then Kirk, acting as Lothario Kirk, goes to the woman, of course, Right. Uh, he apologizes to her and uh, she says, why are you apologizing? I don't understand. And uh, he says, uh, trust me, that there are better things for men and women to do. He then kisses her. Is there a significance for this action? He asks, taken aback. Kirk probably like laying on his like best kiss, right? <laughs> taken aback and he's like, oh, uh, yeah, well, you know, this is uh, what men and women do. She goes, oh, you're trying to seduce me. He's like, well, I was trying. (laughs) Uh, She says, this business of love, you humans have devoted a lot of effort to. And then they kiss some more. As conveniently, Rojan walks in. Very odd creatures, these humans, he says, after after receiving his first kiss. Scott's effort to get the purple-suited Kelvin drunk uh, continues. He uh, finds another one that's green. Spock then, playing chess with Rojan, uh, really stirs up his jealousy of uh, Kalinda. Which is funny, because for a while I thought he was saying Galinda, right? Because Galinda is the name of uh, the Good Witch, the Wicked Witch of the West in uh, Wicked. Galinda. But it's Kalinda with a K. Just in case you didn't know. Meanwhile, Scott is uh, running out of alcohol. In his room, things aren't, uh, things aren't going well. This guy's matching him drink for drink, which he is shocked by. We see, uh, now, who has changed her hair, as Rojan walks in, and he demands that she no longer sees Captain Kirk or any of the humans. She says, but you said that humans are no threat. We are superior beings. I like that. Okay.
0: Using his thing against him, you know, like, uh. His arrogance, in a sense, is hubris, right? Right. You said they were harmless. Why are you saying? I, you know, and this would have been better if, like, she'd had more of her, like, different agenda, uh-huh. right? Because then she could be like, "I'm going to pursue my agenda." And you said they were, you know, harmless. You know, so what is it now? I, I, were, yeah. were you wrong? Are they dangerous? No, no. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> and, and, of course, he'd be unable to explain because what he's really doing is he's being jealous, right? Right. I, I just don't like it, that's all. Well, that's the dumbest thing, you know. What do you mean you don't like it? Like, where is this coming from? I don't know, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused by these human sensations inside of me.
0: Well, why don't you go climb into a box? Okay, <laughs> then I'll feel much better.
1: <laughs> See, that's all Spock had to say. <laughs> if you ever find yourself getting really agitated You should go and hide in a box I'll come get you when time's ready <laughs> At least then it would have been a fun episode <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's yeah, always hiding like, in a box And standing behind doors Where he can like feel something on both sides of him Right Right exactly
1: uh, Rojan then here threatens to neutralize Kirk Or any of the other humans And then he grabs her He then backs away and realizes what he's done, but doesn't understand it. We fade to commercial. Back at it. McCoy has given uh, Hainar another injection, and his ends are really getting frayed now. Scott then then pulls out a very old bottle of scotch, and he weeps as he pours it. Kirk is frustrated in the briefing room. Are we even getting anywhere, he asks. And I haven't seen Scott <laughs> in I thought
0: that was great. Yeah. Uh,
1: Galinda shows up again and demands some more of Kirk's time. Uh, McCoy and Spike uh, leave again.
0: <laughs> and they leave like it's, you know, it's funny.
1: Yes, it's exactly. It's a good scene. Yeah. Bones is just like staring at her like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> Uh, He
0: has has mentioned once before, like, why is it always, you know, the captain that gets it, gets the girl?
1: That's right. Uh, She tells Kirk, uh, people think way too much about this love thing. That wasn't the exact line. That was my paraphrase. Uh, But she then asks to be apologized to again. (laughs) And (laughs) now Hanar loses his mind, getting really agitated with uh, Rojan. And uh, Rojan can't, can't understand what's happening, and he's irritated and even slams his hand on the, uh, on the captain's chair, which causes the girl who's sitting in uh, navigation to turn around and look at him. And even, he almost shrugs like, I don't, I don't know what's happening to me. We cut back to Kirk and Galinda experimenting on one another, she calls it. Spock then goes to the bridge to monitor the devices and scanners. They need to be uh, constantly watched. Or occasionally, I guess, really. Not even constantly. Occasionally watched. Looked after. Roger then asks if uh, he's seen Kirk Spock says uh, I think I saw him In the rec room with uh, Galinda Spock oh, does I... a
0: good job of like totally setting up The uh oh, Yeah yeah, It's really funny
1: <laughs> He really is like is Turning every screw that he can
0: You know it's like you couldn't do this With real people because <laughs> they'd be like What the hell are you trying to like <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly Trying to drive a wedge between us what's happening here Although I'm sure that we've watched many uh, reality shows where this similar thing has happened, so I don't know. Maybe you're wrong.
0: I, I, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to suggest that perhaps everything we see in a reality show is <laughs> entirely... Well, I don't
1: understand. They don't have writers listed in the credits. Oh, wait. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes,
0: they do. And it's not even like that it's written. It's that... You know, people are, like, playing to type, right? Right, 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 right. You
1: know. Rojan says, I told her to stay away from him. Well, it appears that he has more sway over her than you do. Rojan then leaves the bridge in a fit. Down to Scott's quarters, they finish that very old bottle of scotch. Tomar finally passes out, and it looks like (laughs) we've won the day, right? They're going to get their little scanner. It's going to be great. Scott picks up the device uh, that causes the paralysis, their little fanny pack thing, and uh, goes to take it to the captain. Victory is within reach. Except poor Scott doesn't even make it out the door as he too passes out. (laughs) Rojan confronts Galinda again. Kirk then hits Rojan, slaps him, waiting for a reaction. And then he finally gets it as a fight breaks out in the rec room. Kirk says to him, why aren't you using your paralyzer? Dun, dun, dun. You're jealous. That's why. You're acting with the emotions of a human. You're human. I can't be, yells Rojan, and the fight continues. Your mission is to find new worlds to live in. Our mission is to find, uh, is to conquer. He's like, I'm sure we could just go to Starfleet, and they can find a new world for you. Rojan says, you would do that? You would help invaders? He says, no, but we would do it for friends. Spock says, you can uh, establish a destiny of your own. Roseanne then asks Glinda if she would remain with Kirk. But she says, no, I will remain with you. And I owe you an apology. And she kisses him which then makes me wonder about this civilization that they're going to be setting up. I, so no, every, it was, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: every time you uh, have to apologize to somebody, you just kiss them. That's, uh, that's how you make up. And more importantly, I began to wonder, there's only like six people. Like what kind of a, what kind of a civilization are they going to set up here? I don't understand. Won't be able to sustain this uh, civilization of theirs.
0: Yeah, because it's, you know, their mission was to go back to Andromeda. Right? right And like get the others. So it's like are they gonna continue with that mission abort that mission? Yes. Like, where do they go? Did they like bring them back and drop them off on that one planet where they're like, well, this is where we started, and now we're back here stranded just like we wait a minute what the hell <laughs> <You know>? exactly <laughs> did <laughs> he they just become,
1: did they just become like full-time human? That was another thing I wondered like I just don't understand.
0: maybe they found the planet of Rhizo. <laughs>
1: Maybe, maybe you're right, uh, but we'll just sweep all that under the rug as we go to the happy ending as we see the ship turn around and head back to galactic space. However, did you notice there are no stars between the two galaxies? I'm like, what what about all the other galaxies that are supposed to be between Andromeda and our solar system? I don't understand, or our galaxy. It was weird. it was all black, except for the anyway, sad news, the night that this episode aired. Who's in third place. We had an episode, of course, of Gomer Pyle. Gomer Pyle was followed by The Great Escape on TV. Of course, people were tuning in to watch The Great Escape. Steve McQueen. And then, of course, that show of Operation Entertainment, which again took place in San Antonio, starring this week, headed up by... Uh, I was going to say Jerry Lewis, but that's not right. Who's the sausage guy? Jimmy Dean. Yes. Jimmy Dean. Hosted by Jimmy Dean this, this week, so. Third place for uh, for Star Trek Tonight, but at least it was a not-so-great episode, and probably all for the better. <laughs> Barbara Boucher, who is the uh, one who played uh, Kalinda, says, uh, I remember thinking of Star Trek as a successful show. I suppose that's why I tried out for that part. William Shatner is really my only memory. I had a big crush on him. And we even went out a few times. Go Shatner. Good job. Julie Cobb, the one who uh, died early on in the episode, said, I wasn't a Trekkie. I don't think that there were even Trekkies yet. It was still too new. But it was a great show, and it was history-making, ultimately. And we have a family connection connection to Star Trek. I did the original series. My daughter had her first TV job on Star Trek Voyager. And then my ex-husband, James Cromwell was in the film's Star Trek First Contact. He played Zefram Cochrane, So it was a real family affair. Oh, well, thanks for clearing that up for us, Julie. (laughs) Well, uh, that's it about this episode. Obviously, I didn't love it, but what can you do? Not every episode's a winner. It's fine. We're going into season three. We got a lot more to talk about, so.
0: It's
1: going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, Well, that's all I got in this episode. Anything else you want to talk about? I somehow think that we hit it all, but...
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you've got some interesting potential with these aliens from another galaxy, and they're they're thoroughly alien. So one of the things that we always say about Star Trek is that, like, you just put a nose prosthetic on, and you've got an alien. But this isn't what you've got here. You've got something fundamentally alien, which only looks normal by some deceptive technology which never gets explained because you know it's they're obviously sufficiently advanced that they can go between galaxies which is mind-blowing to our our crew
1: and to restate the point that i think again i think inherently that part of the episode the second half of this episode should have been the crux of the episode and would have been a lot more interesting to get a little bit more into, like, how are these characters becoming, what's happening to them. I mean, I don't care right. about the machinery, but I just mean even, like, emotionally and just suddenly, like, you know, even them just like, oh, what is, I don't understand. And then a little more about the food stuff and a little bit more yeah. of just, like, you know, developing I mean, that idea would have been fascinating.
0: I, I would have loved a scene in which, like, one of them, like, not a scene, but a shot. In which one of them is like touching something that we, you would know has a texture, and that, you know, we would think, well, that's interesting. Um, I, I can't Blinked
1: think. Of it. Silk yeah,
0: or... right. Yeah, he's just like feeling it, and looking at it, and like, what the hell, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been really great. Yeah, I guess so. And again, that's an interesting idea. Uh, that moment of tension I talked about with uh, between the two galaxies is really great, and uh, all the Scott stuff, of course, is is hilarious, but. Uh, I just felt like the rest of it kind of got just misused and uh, into a script that was sort of a mishmash of ideas, I think. I yeah. think them getting stuck on the planet was part of the, was part of the big thing, because making this a bottle episode, I think, would have been a lot more interesting.
0: Or have the whole thing happen on the planet. Yeah. Where they're captured, um, they're going to take the ship, but, like, they have to do something first, and or they're calling for assistance, or... You know whatever the thing is, and everything happens on the planet where there's the touching and the like uh, yeah the, the sun on your face and the you know whatever else
1: well, that wraps up this episode. uh next week, I looked it up and forgot already. why do I always launch into the final before I uh look at what the next episode is
0: always dumb. Oh, very Kelvin of you While you're doing that. Yes, Here's a, fun, a fun fact. So you mentioned Zod earlier, right? Uh-huh. Of course, played by Terrence Stamp. Yes, right. Uh, so turns out Terrence Stamp and Michael Caine were roommates, okay, kind of in, their, in their early, early actor days, right? Running around with uh, Peter O'Toole and you know some other. You know, famous British actors. And Terrence Stamp got the, the uh, opportunity to play Alfie in uh, What's It All About, Alfie. And he was just like, nah, this is going to be too controversial. This is an unlikable character. I don't want to do it. Michael Caine, why don't, why don't you try out for this? It's, it's interesting, and Michael Caine does it. And, of course, it's a great film with Michael Caine. Right, rem- right, right. Remade with Jude Law. Uh, you know, I, I love Michael Caine in this, right? And, of course, it's got a great uh, you know, title track. That yep. I, uh... So, there's my Terrence Stamp aside while you were looking for notes. <laughs> Zod.
1: So, oddly enough, I think that the episode you were talking previously is the next episode. It's uh, Return to Tomorrow, I believe, where the uh, description is that they lend their brains to two hundred million year old brain, or they lend their bodies to two hundred million year old brains, or whatever. I'm like, okay, sounds great. Can't wait. <laughs> Another goofy episode.
0: Perhaps it's a good episode, though. Oh, okay, good, good, good. I'm excited. I mean, it's got interesting, you know, things. That sometimes these premises are a little bit uh, far fetched. I'll put it that way, right? Yeah. But The
1: ideas they explore are good.
0: Yeah, they they do good stuff with it. My, uh, of course, last Terrence and stamp uh, note for the evening will be, that's, of course, why I'm uh, communicating from Planet Houston. (laughs) You're so right.
1: Ken has already signed off from Planet Houston. I'm going (laughs) to sign off from Planet Austin. And that'll do it. As always, you can find us on the YouTubes. You can find us on the uh, Google Play. You can find us on the Stitcher Radio. You can find us on the new Apple Podcasts. We are everywhere you want to be and finding more and more places to go. That's us. We're saying goodbye. See you next week.
0: Live long and prosper.